heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Locked On Trailblazers, your daily Portland Trailblazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to a April 18th, Tuesday edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast. I'm your host, Eric Garcia-Gunderson a writer from the Associated Press, Blazers Edge, former Blazer beat writer for the Vancouver Columbian. Welcome back to another edition of Locked On Blazers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, where we have a wide variety of shows covering the NBA, NFL, every team. There's a podcast for you, and of course, that includes this podcast, Locked On Blazers, for your Portland Trail Blazers. When we last were here, and by the way, uh, just wanted to say that uh, Tuesday we have uh, uh, an alternative recording setup, um, getting some things taken care of. We'll be back tomorrow, so any changes in audio, I just wanted to make sure uh, to let you know that this is temporary. However, thank you for sticking with us. Thank you for coming back to the show. We left you when the Blazers went down 1-0 in their 1-8 first-round series against the Golden State Warriors. The Warriors were able to knock the Blazers off 121-109. Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum were phenomenal. They did not get enough help, and it was anticipated that maybe uh, some of the help that they would get would be in the form of Yusuf Nurkic, However, Nurkic told reporters today in the Bay Area that he is out for Game 2 with that non-displaced fracture in his leg. He did tell reporters that he has undergone one full contact practice, which is, in my opinion, a, a good sign for Nurkic, for the Blazers, that that is that he is at least progressing, that it's not just lip service, that he is progressing, quote-unquote, but without any actual real idea of what that means. And that came from uh, Dwight James's uh, write-up from practice today. Uh, a note there, uh, you know, he has done some contact drills it had been reported but apparently he has gone un- undergone one full practice which is something that we did not know um again that was from uh, comcast sportsnet uh, dwight Jaynes. but n- nevertheless he is out for game two and um the vibe right now seems that he you know his status is uncertain and uh i do take it as a good sign that he did have a contact practice, but I and I also kind of take it as a good sign that he knows where his limits are and he knows when he needs to 
you know, when to not be the hero. And uh, we all know that here in in Portland that a lot of times uh, in this franchise's history, guys have gotten hurt trying to be the hero. And Nurkic knows that he, I, I, I think, the, the fact that he isn't going to play in Game 2, that he said that he's not going to play in Game 2, uh, I think shows that. And I think it also, to me, is maybe an example just culturally of what is different about this Blazers team. And this is something that I talked about when I went on Blazers Edge Radio with Peter Sampson, is that, and I and I tweeted about it as well, that, you know, whatever decision the Blazers end up making with playing Yusef Nurkic or not in Game 3 or Game 4 is that, no matter what, I think it's going to be a smart, data-driven decision, one that is not going to be a rash one in hopes of swinging a first-round series. Uh, I think it will be a, a decision made purely out of health and purely out of what is best for Nurkic. And if if Nurkic feels comfortable the the doctors give him the green light, the medical staff gives him the green light, and he wants to play, and he can, and he can deal with it and play. You know, I think ultimately that decision is is the is the one that they're going to make, and I think it's going to be uh, not as rash or not as dramatic of a decision uh, if they do do it. Obviously, it, it will be a big decision for all parties involved, but I do think that this training staff. It has has a proven track record of doing things better than their predecessors. And uh, Jeff Stotts from Rotowire, the guy that does in-street clothes, uh, he broke that down, uh, has a really good breakdown about what the differences are in this Blazers training staff compared to the last one. So um, if you don't take it from me, take it from you know the best injury expert out there uh, covering the league. So... Uh, that's just another example. I, I think, you know, not an example, excuse me, but a, another factor in this Nurkic story that I think should be considered is that, you know, while Portland's curse with big men and injuries and, and players getting hurt, you know, has happened, I don't necessarily think that that really plays into, uh, this decision, this injury, and this moment, because I think it's different people, different processes, a little bit of a different culture. Also, you know, I, I think the team that they're playing as well, it, you know, probably has a factor. But I think more than anything, you know, even if Portland were to have, you know, a, a, an amazing turnaround and get a big, huge game from everyone and steal game two miraculously without Nurkic. I don't think that that adds truly any pressure to get him back on the court. And I really do think that it will be a healthy decision. And if anything else, extending the series and winning a game is better because then Nurkic has more time to heal. Granted, the schedules are shorter and uh, that is minimized the, the the gap in rest time is minimized. However, the longer the series go, goes, the more likely it is that there's more games that maybe Nurkic could come back. So maybe that is a factor. But really, I think ultimately the decision will be made on health, 
can he play? Does it hurt? Can he deal with it? Is it safe? And I think they will make a decision that is is right for him. Uh, you know, he told reporters again that he was scheduled to have today off anyway. He did not practice and, and had the day off. So they obviously have him on some kind of rest and recovery and workout schedule. So I do think that just the process overall, obviously they've had injuries. Wesley Matthews, everyone remembers, but that's a freak accident. And I do think that they will do the right thing by Nurkic and by the franchise, ultimately, long-term, no matter what decision they do make. Um, so that's the Nurkic update. He's not going to play in Game 2. Someone else who might not play in Game 2, and one of the reasons why I'm talking about the Blazers potentially stealing Game 2 is that Kevin Durant is questionable for Game 2. Uh, that came out of the Warriors' practice today. Uh, Steve Kerr was talking about being cautious and, you know, injuries like this can be, you, you, you know, you don't, injuries like this, you know, can get a little hairy if they're not taken care of properly. I mean, it's a soft tissue injury. It's it's something that, you know, is very vital to a basketball player. You know, your calves, it's where you're leaping from. It's where you get that, you know, that tap. And, uh, it's kind of funny that C.J. McCollum was talking about uh, telling Draymond Green that he needed to get do more calf raises because he missed that dunk in the game one. But I guess the guy that needs the help with the calf is Kevin Durant, um, and maybe you know that also isn't so surprising either, given the fact that he just came back from a knee injury that was super scary, and everyone thought that he wasn't going to, you know, he he was going to be out, and he even thought that he had a, a great story about that on the Bill Simmons podcast. Uh, but so he had that traumatic of an injury, and he just came back like probably ten days ago. And so for him to have a calf strain is not that surprising because you hear this a lot with guys that have injuries where they come back, they have, and, and, and they're, you know, trying to get back into the swing of things and the knee either subconsciously or not, you know, that they're not really balancing on everything right. And, you know, maybe you overcompensate and in a game one where, it's Durant's first playoff game with the Warriors, and he had a big game, but all the spotlight's on him. This whole season's kind of been about him, and there's obviously pressure there to play well. And uh, to me, it's, you know, given the injury that he just came off of, and one of the cautions that Danny LaRue had when he came on to the crossover podcast from Locked On Warriors was that, you know, we don't know how good Durant is, you know, all the way health wise. And that is already showing up in this series. And so uh, Durant questionable for game two. And to me, I don't think he's going to play for two reasons. Uh, One, he just got back. And uh, the Warriors are extremely cautious in general when it comes to this stuff. And Portland is the eighth seed. They don't even have Nurkic, so it's probably best to take your chances if you're them. The second reason is 
related to the first one, and that is the Warriors are in this for the long, long haul, and that is three rounds in the Western Conference, then the finals against LeBron in a series that can go however long. And so with that in mind, with the load in mind, I mean, the, the, the playoffs, you know, Portland isn't going to be playing, you know, for two and a half months. That's what the Warriors are going to be doing. And they're going to be playing high-intensity basketball, getting everyone's best shot for the next two and a half months. So if you're the Warriors and there's a question about Durant and he's coming back from this injury, to me, the move is to not play him. That's why I don't think that they're going to. Um, you know, he may have other ideas. And maybe, you know, by the time they go to shoot around tomorrow morning, uh, the day before the game, about, you know, 10 hours or 12 hours from now, uh, maybe he feels better with a night of sleep and everything's better. Who knows? But uh, given the information that we have right now, given the position that the Warriors are in, and given the situation that Durant was just in, it makes all the sense in the world for me to say that they're not going to play him. So, uh, and, and, and that for Portland, in my opinion, is bigger than any injury outside of Draymond Green. Uh, because I think Draymond Green, at least right now, without Nurkic, just exposes the Blazers on the interior so much that they don't have any answer for it. And they don't have any answer for Durant, though. And to me, if you had to choose between Durant and Curry of one of those two, which two, which of the two megastars would you rather have out of the lineup if you're Portland? And the answer for me is Durant 10 times out of 10 because Durant is 7 feet tall. He can protect the basket. He can be a weak side defender. When he is healthy, he can lock you down. He has great length. He's seven feet tall. He's a dead-eye catch-and-shoot catch shooter. And he doesn't have, and, and Curry doesn't have the length that he has if he's switched on to, say, C.J. McCollum or Damian Lillard, where he doesn't even really have to play good defense to deter them from shooting. So, and then you look at just how to defend the Warriors in general. Portland already had enough trouble defending the Warriors as it was last year without Curry even. But even with Curry in there, they had trouble guarding him. And I think Durant not being out there and them and the Warriors starting, say, Iguodala, then that gives Terry Stotts more options to play with when it comes to cross-matching and 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 maybe giving Lillard a break and not having him guard Curry so much, maybe giving McCollum a break. McCollum, I must say, did a great job against Clay in game one. Probably not a reason to switch that there. Uh, one of the great things I thought that CJ did was he really worked hard to chase after Clay, to run him off the line and make him put the ball on the floor where he's not really that comfortable. I mean, he, he has gotten a lot better at it, over the course of his career, but it's just not something that he excels at. So if you had to choose with, you know, Clay Thompson shooting a three or Clay Thompson dribbling and doing something with the ball, you're going to take the latter every single time. So I thought Clay did a good job, but I do think that Durant not being there really opens the door for Portland to do some more cross-matching, maybe switch Damian Lillard onto Andre Iguodala, 
if Iguodala starts, which I assume would happen if Durant were not to play. I don't think Kerr would be would have as much hubris as to start, say, Patrick McCaw, uh, like he did earlier in the year. And, and, and so I, I think he's going to go to Iguodala, and I think that there you have a real great opportunity to just let Dame get a break or and, and not have to guard Steph. And I thought that, that Dame also played hard defensively. I thought the whole Blazers did, but I, it just it's just allocating your resources better and making it a little bit harder on Steph. It's not to say that putting a taller guy is just going to neutralize Steph, but it's just a it's just a more strategic play. And so, you know, that opens the door for uh that opens the door for maybe Harkless on Steph Curry or Evan Turner on Steph Curry. Whatever you know, they have other options and they can put Dame on Andre Iguodala and 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 try and bait the Warriors into posting him up. And I don't think that they're going to do that, but You'd rather have that every time, and uh, I think that we could definitely see that if Durant isn't in there, that the Blazers will have a bigger opportunity to cross-match and to give Lillard a break on Curry, put a bigger defender on him, and disrupt more. And I think if you can make things just even, you know, 3 or 4% harder by putting a bigger defender on him and then you keep doing what you do in game 1 on the offensive end by going at him offensively and and attacking his defense and trying to get him in foul trouble you know that is as good of a chance as you're going to get Nurkic or no Nurkic in this series because to me Durant is the one guy the Blazers simply cannot match up with and I thought that Evan Turner did a phenomenal job guarding him and he still had 30 points so, and I think he had nine rebounds or something like that. So, you're, the Blazers just don't match up with Durant. And it's hard enough to match up with the Warriors, but Durant is just the one guy that really messes everything up. And so, for me, I think that if Durant doesn't play, uh, you know, you got to definitely then sell out to guard Clay and Steph because those guys went crazy when Durant was out and and played like they did last year when they won 73. So, you know, that is something that, you know, I think opens a little bit of a door for Portland. And then not even just the defensive stuff that Portland can do, it forces Steve Kerr to play, uh, you know, other guys more minutes that aren't as good as Kevin Durant. So not only just from a scheme perspective does it help Portland, but also just with the talent on the floor, it helps Portland. So, um they're not getting Nurkic, but they do get a little... Uh, there is a glimmer of hope for them, I think, in this game, more so than the last game, if Durant doesn't play. Obviously, you don't want to see a guy get hurt, but uh, if there were one guy to not be in the lineup, and it, you know, it's good it's not a serious injury, it, I would assume that he's only going to sit out like one game. But I'm sure they're going to be cautious with it. The Warriors have a really long haul, and I think game two, uh, you know, if they don't have him is a real opportunity for Portland because Portland can score on Steph. They can go at him and they can go back they can do that and then they can maybe put a bigger defender on him. Not that that's going to get it all the way done, but it can make a small enough difference whereas I just don't think Portland has anybody that can really do anything to take Durant out of his game. One last note on the series um sparked by my conversation with Peter Sampson today. 
thinking about it more. And if Kerr insists on going back to JaVale McGee uh, for extended minutes at center, I really do think that something, a, a small place where Portland has an opportunity to neutralize uh, what Golden State does is perhaps by inserting Myers Leonard uh, back into the second unit, maybe giving him a little bit more time once again. Uh, he played seven minutes in game one, uh, didn't have a good game, but I think if he can get some open shots or even just force JaVale McGee a step or two out and not allow him to crowd around the paint and be around Draymond and uh, you know, make it even harder to score in the paint on the Warriors. I think you you take that chance. And uh, Stotts may have liked how a lot of those other second units played, uh, and but a lot of the bench units for the Warriors did well regardless. And those ones without Javale did well as well. So or did you know? So uh, I think the the best lineup was actually it was uh, Draymond, Clay, Ian Clark, Iguodala, and David West. So uh, you know. Portland's going to have to make do with small ball lineups no matter what. But uh, in game one, McGee was a huge difference maker. And so if he continues to wreak havoc, uh, I think you you kind of could neutralize that by bringing in Leonard, who, you know, has his struggles as a defender. But and, and in the pick and roll is where McGee really shines. So and that is where Leonard, I think, has had the most trouble. But. I think you give him a chance because you're going to need something from your center position. You can't continue to get outplayed by JaVale McGee and Zaza Pachulia. Maybe you will anyway, but uh, Noah Vonley I thought looked good and he's going to probably get the start again, but I really do think that Myers Leonard should have a role in this game without Nurkic because Portland doesn't have very many cards to play and uh, I I think when McGee is in the game specifically, I really think that there's an opportunity there for Stotts to go to Myers Leonard to try and match up with them. But uh, perhaps the calculus is that you know he's not going to try and match up with them. But uh, to me, that's one of the only ways you can try and neutralize what McGee did in Game One, which is just he did a really good job of roaming the paint blocking shots, being a help defender, and if you have Myers Leonard out there and he's a threat to shoot the ball, that's a problem. And in the playoffs, to me, that's you know extremely valuable. I think it's what Myers does is more valuable in the postseason. Uh, can he do it, though? Can he deliver? Can he step up and have a better game, too, if he gets the minutes again? That's the big question. He's got to show something in his first shift. I don't think he's going to get benched. I think he's going to get a shot. Because the Warriors do play a traditional five, I, I think he will get a shot. So uh, he's got to deliver. He's got to play well. And I really think that if he has the shot going or at least is just playing with confidence in any way, shape, or form on the offensive end and on the defensive end, I think he could be some kind of a defense against McGee. But I know that I'm in the minority on that. But uh, it's the playoffs. you got to play your guys, you know, uh, and I, and I think that you know with, with the guys they have, Leonard, there's a little bit of an upside there that you can hope for. Um, 
so that's my last tactical note uh, on the series uh, for now. Uh, and one last news wrap-up. The Blazers officially have their first-round picks set in order. I talked about them briefly on the end of the season podcast uh, when they were not finalized. I was just you know reading the, the standings and how they looked at the time. There were several tiebreakers that had to get settled. There were three that the Blazers were involved in. But all that you need to know is that because of those tiebreakers, the Blazers will be picking 15th, 20th, and 26th in the first round of the upcoming NBA draft. They won one of the three tiebreakers that they were involved in, the one for the 15th pick. They beat out Chicago in the ping pong ball selection. So they get the 15th pick. Chicago gets 16th, but they lose the other two tiebreakers. They lose the tiebreaker to Atlanta that could have gotten them the 19th pick, and they ended up with the 20th pick. And the heartbreaker of all was the four-way tiebreaker with the Cleveland first-round pick that could have been as high as 23, but will now be the 26th pick in the upcoming NBA draft. So uh, Portland drops three spots with with that uh, draw that was kind of like a draft lottery light, I guess is what it, what I could compare it to. Uh, they had a host, Ernst & Young was involved, all that stuff. <laughs> uh, so it was kind of like a mini lottery, but the Blazers, what you need to know is that their picks are set. They will officially have the 15th pick, the 20th pick, and the 26th pick in the first round of the NBA draft. They got that 20th pick in the Yusuf Nurkic deal by giving up Mason Plumley, and they got the Cleveland pick when the Cavs needed to change the protections on their pick that went to Portland last year in order to get Kyle Korver from the Hawks in December. So that is going to do it for this edition of Lockdown Blazers part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Audio Boom, Google Play, wherever you can get a podcast. Five-star reviews are wonderful. If you'd like to send any questions to the show, send them to LockedOnBlazers at gmail.com. You can also tweet at me at Eric underscore Gunderson or tweet at the show at LockedOnBlazers, one word. So, Uh, Until next time, which will be after Game 2 of Blazers-Warriors, Blazers are down 1-0, Kevin Durant questionable, no Yusuf Nurkic, but there is still a game to be played, so until then...